The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the debut of Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night, the third day of January 2021. Happy New Year to all. New year, new show. Our engineer, Brian Graves, of course, is with us and helping us out. we got a great show lined up for you tonight as we roll out our new format. Up first, we'll talk to one of the most popular players ever to take the field in New York. He was a real fan favorite at Shea Stadium, a member of the 1986 World Championship team. Daryl Strawberry will join us. And in the second half, we'll welcome in another local legend. Grew up just blocks from here. He's a member of the Hoops Hall of Fame. We will get a checkup from the doctor. Dr. J. Julia Serving will be with us. So sit back and relax. Get comfortable. Enjoy Sports Talk New York tonight on GBB. We've got some great people with some great stories up ahead. As always, we are on social media, Facebook, Sports Talk New York. So much information out there. Stop by. Give it a look. Also, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at B. Donahue WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't worry, because we have them all out on our website. You can give them a listen there. Well, our first guest, he played 17 seasons in Major League Baseball. Throughout his career, he was one of the most feared sluggers in the sport, known for his prodigious home runs, intimidating presence in the batter's box, and a real sweet swing that people elicited comparisons to the great Ted Williams. He's a four-time World Series champion, eight-time All-Star, National League Rookie of the Year in 1993. He's got a new book out, which we will discuss with him, called Turn Your Season Around, How God Transforms Your Life. I welcome to the show tonight, Daryl Strawberry. Daryl, good evening. Good evening, Bill. How are you guys doing? We're we're uh, doing City. about as best as we can, Daryl. We're working through some kinks here. We're, we got our new format coming out tonight, and uh, we're hanging on like loose buttons here. <laughs> well, that's that's all right. That's all right. It's good to be with you guys, and congratulations on your new start and everything. It's a new year. Hopefully, everybody can get started with something new in the new year. Exactly, Daryl. Now, you grew up in Los Angeles, as we know. Who were your teams? Who were your guys back then when you were a kid? Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I, I grew up a Dodger fan, but I grew up a Pete Rose fan. Ah. I, used to watch the Dod- I used to watch the Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds and the Big Red Machine, and I used to see all these great players on each team, but I saw this one particular player by the name of Pete Rose, and his uniform just seems to be dirty, dirtier than all the rest of the guys. You know, yeah. his uniform was so dirty all the time. And I thought, this guy is a real baseball player with a dirty uniform because that's what baseball is supposed to look like. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good choice you made, Daryl. Now, I-, I wanted to ask you something I recently saw on social media about when Frank Cashin fired Davey Johnson. 
he told him uh, just to leave. Don't talk to anybody. There'll be a car waiting for you outside to take you to the airport. He wasn't able to uh, address you guys at all, and uh, Frank want, wanted him just to take off. Did you know about that? No, I had no idea about that. Uh, I know there was a lot of conflict there uh, between uh, Frank Cashin and Davey Johnson. Davey Johnson was more of a player's manager, which was great. He just let us be loose and let us play, let us have our way, come to the ballpark, be ready to play, strap it on. And he was uh, he was one of those guys that just really opened, opened the door for players. I mean, when you have a manager that understands the game like Davey Johnson or Joe Torrey because they played mm -hmm. and they know what players are like, um, to kind of let your players be free and let them just be there and be ready, you know, and that was the number one thing for us, just be there and be ready to kick some butt when game time came in. That's what we were all about. Right. Yeah, definitely. Now, you guys, of course, a powerhouse ball club. Would you say your bi biggest disappointment, Daryl, was 1988? Yeah, I think 88 was a really tough year to swallow, you know, after losing to the Dodgers. We beat them so many times during the regular course of the season, and then we fell into that playoff series, and, you know, there were some lucky bounces for them. You know, that's the name of the game. You know, that some things went their way. You know, uh, uh, T-Bone Shelby, you know, walks with an 0-2 count. You know, if you get him out, socially don't hit the home run. Yeah. You know, Kirk Gibson hits a home run. You know, plays that happen, you know, things that happen. And, I mean, we had our opportunities to close it out, and, and we just didn't close it out when we needed to close it out. Right. Now, you, you left New York. You signed with the Dodgers. Did they make any effort uh, to bring you back to the Mets, Darrell? Um, no, no, there was no. never any efforts to really come back to the Mets. I mean, I think they were about to, they were changing. You know, I saw the change coming along when you started um, losing a lot of players from the 80, 86 team. And, you know, the, the 88 team, you know, you start, you, you know, you start trading guys. You traded Lenny off and you start sending guys to different places, Mookie. I mean, when you, when you grow up and you play with a group of guys, you, you hopefully want to finish with those kind of guys. And, I saw the organization was about to take a different turn, and they were bringing up some young players. But my whole thing was with the younger players, Bill, were they ready to play in New York? See, it's right. a big thing, you know, when you have to be in New York City and you have to play, and especially with what we had already um, made the team great for those many years and the fans were already excited about it, could we continue that? And I didn't know if we would be able to continue that with younger players being able to handle the pressure because Hernandez was gone and, you know, other players came in uh, – Dave came in and John Jeffries came in. And, and a lot of times you're not ready and built for that kind of pressure playing in New York, and you're not going to be able to uh, pursue uh, uh, those big games like you're used to with the players that we had. Exactly. You're exactly right, Daryl. Now, you come back to New York, though, after a stint on the West Coast with the Yankees. You're reunited with uh, guys like David Cohn and Doc Goodens there on the Yankees. Now, now, every guy I ask always has great things to say about the boss. How was your relationship with George Steinbrenner? George was incredible. The boss was an incredible person. Um, he treated every player, I don't care what your life was like or what you were going through, he treated every player like you were family when you put on the Yankee uniform. And I think every player could tell you that. And that's why I said so many guys cling to that, you know, Yankee tradition because they were a family organization. They never pushed players out, you know, and say, you're, you're this and you're that and because you had some troubles, you know. And, and I think that's what was great about George, and that's what's great about New York. You know, fans 
like players who have struggled and have troubles to bounce back. But, you know, uh, uh, that organization was an organization full of that when George brought players over there and his caring for players. I, I just thought it was remarkable, and I had a great relationship with him. Yeah, there is no ex-Yankee I talked to, Daryl, that has anything bad to say about George Steinbrenner, and I think that's a remarkable legacy that he holds. Now, I often mention to my guest, uh, Daryl, you know you've made it when you've had a bobblehead made of yourself or when you've been on The Simpsons. Now, you have both. Now, people may may not remember. They could look it up. Homer at the Bat, that tremendous episode when you guys are playing softball for Mr. Burns. And uh, tell us a little bit about the experience you had working with those guys uh, on The Simpsons. It was a great experience working with them. It was a lot of fun, uh, you know, to be able to work with a project like that and, you know, so many other players, you know, were involved in it too. And at the, at the top of, uh, uh, of the mountain, you would call it when you hit the Simpsons, cause that's really what they call it when you hit a show like that, because that, that show lasts forever. I have more fans come to me with pictures from that. And when I'm, <laughs> yeah. when I'm out and doing a show or something like that and want me to sign that and, some people say, I'm not a baseball fan, but you were on The Simpsons. I love you because you were on The Simpsons. So that's pretty cool. It is, yeah. Oz, Ozzy Smith had the same thing to say. Well, what an incredible time you guys had on that. Now, uh, let's talk about your new book, Turn Your Season Around, uh, How God c- Can Really Change Your Experience in Life. There's a, a passage in your book, Daryl, when you talk about your hitting coach getting you to focus on really slowing down and getting back to basics when you're slumping. And uh, right now, it seems like the whole world is in a slump. How are you getting through the pandemic as a preacher? Well, I'm getting through it well, and, and thanks for, you know, inviting me on the show and, and really being able to just have a conversation about, you know, the past of baseball and, and, and the change of life, you know, because, you know, nothing lasts forever, and I think a lot of times people think, that lasts forever. Baseball, no, it doesn't. Career doesn't last forever. It only lasts for a certain period. Then you got to move on and cross over into life. And, you know, I crossed over into real life, you know, after, you know, baseball and so many different trials and tribulations. And I just had a transformation to change my life to be a different person. And, you know, I, I, because my mother always wanted me to be this person that I am today, I just wasn't this person when she was alive. And I wish she would have had the opportunity to see me uh, have a ch- change of life and, and deal with life in such a different way. And, you know, I'm just grateful for this book because, you know, I don't write a book to say, to brag about me. I, br- I write a book to brag about what God did in my life, how he changed my life after looking at uh, players like Mookie Wilson and Gary Carter when they were at the height of their mm-hmm. career on the team and they lived a different life and everybody thought they were strange because they didn't go out drinking and chasing girls or this and that. You know, they would go to dinner and stuff with us. And I always thought that, I wanted what they had. I wish I could have had what Gary Carter had and, and Mookie had at the time of my career and stuff like that, and I didn't. But later on in life, I would come to this place, and I would have my life changed. And here it is. I'm writing another book that's coming out January the 12th about turn your season around. Like I said, it's nothing great about me. I'm just a person that has surrendered my life. I was very persistent to go after God and surrender my life and, and, and come into a new place and, and become a minister of the gospel and just loving people and caring for people, Bill. That's, that's really what it's all about at the end of the day because people love me and care for me. So I'm just giving back what was given to me. Exactly. We're speaking with Daryl Strawberry tonight on Sports Talk New York. When did you start this project, Daryl, and what do you hope people can garner from, from this particular work? 
Well, I started this project. Um, this book was started uh, uh, right before, even before the pandemic came out, and I had the title already written. I was in the middle of writing this book when the pandemic came out, so little did I know we all would have to be in a season that we would have to turn it around. And it's just like a baseball season, Bill. You know, a lot of people – you know, talked about the first half of the season. The media talked about the first half of the season. Oh, well, he's having a poor first half. But what they forgot is I have another second half of the season, another 82 ball games left. That's a lot of ball games for mm-hmm. a second half of the season. And it's just the same way in life. You know, we've had a season that everybody's been through over the last eight months or whatever it may be. Uh, we're going to have to come into a place. There's a whole second, another half of a season that's coming in 2021. And we got to look at how do we turn ourselves around? How do we turn ourselves around and be kind to each other? Not just because of a pandemic. You know, you think of the racial issues and the, all the things that we've been through as a, as a nation. How do we come back to a place of loving each other and caring for each other? And you got to remember, God loved us first. So he gave us love. So it should teach us that we should love and look at each other and not look at the color of each other's skin and say, this guy's that and that guy's that because he's been through something. Bill, we all have been through something. So hopefully this book will teach us all how to wake up and realize what's really important in our society and our life. Right. That's what people should take away from the book. Now, doing my research for for our chat tonight, Daryl, I typed your name into Google. And they give you, like, five questions that come up uh, about the person. One of them is, is Daryl Strawberry in the Hall of Fame? And the second one, I was kind of taken back by, it says, is Daryl Strawberry dead? Now, (laughs) there were some times in your life where it seemed like both might be a possibility, but you are doing better than ever. Well, the the second one is, the old me is dead. They got that. Ah, okay, right. Yeah, they just didn't realize he's dead. He no longer lives. You know, I, I got a better life than I had playing baseball, doing ministry, and traveling the country, you know, 250 times out of the year preaching and, and standing on platforms and preaching in front of thousands of people and helping people uh, with programs and helping people who have addiction problems and, and young kids helping them, encouraging them, going into the schools, telling them the danger of, you know, drugs or opiates and heroin and, and vaping and all. I got I have such a better uh productive life than I ever did, you know, being on the field. You know, I had a lot of productive days, but this is more more significant to me than anything else because of the fact I'm able to, you know, give back myself to help somebody else, and I think that's really what's important. I, th- I think a lot of fans view your career, Daryl, and I hate to read it when people say it was a wasted opportunity, but from the perspective that you have now, how do you view your baseball career? Did did it help set you up for what was to come? It wasn't wasted. Yeah, it helped me set set me up for what what was to come after baseball because see, so many people could go on and have successful careers and get into the Hall of Fame, but they never have a transformation in their life. They're still the same person. They're still chasing after the dream or the uniform or the applause from people. And my life has been separated and so totally different uh, of what kind of people follow me today. I don't really have a lot of people who talk to me about the baseball life. They talk to me about my faith. They talk to me about, you know, how did you get there? How did you change your life? How do you walk so different? Why do you live so different? Why are you so happy? Uh, why do you have such a beautiful family, wife, and kids, and, and, and you're doing the things you're doing? So to those that think it's a waste, you know, uh, go look up my ministry and just see what I do, you know, and, 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 and 
read from there from yourself the joy that has come from you know me giving my life to Christ and doing so many other things and and, and being what what Gary Carter always thought I would be you know because he had told me your life God's going to use your life for, for incredible for himself and I think a lot of times we don't see that when the midst of us playing and wearing a uniform I, you know I know I'm no longer dangle with the uniform of number 18, Daryl Strawberry. I'm grateful for that, grateful for all the Mets fans and all the Yankee fans and all the New York fans. I love New York City. I'm grateful for everything that I was able to accomplish in New York City, but I'm more more grateful for who I am today, not a baseball player but a man, you know, that, that doesn't wear a uniform but that walks with faith and helps so many other people uh, find their way. We are speaking with Daryl Strawberry tonight about his book, God can transform your life. Uh, turning your season around is is the uh, main title of the book, and that's what we're talking about tonight. We speak about the kid, Daryl. We really miss that guy, that's for sure. Now, you talk a lot about the importance of taking off your baseball uniform. We just spoke about that. I remember a passage where your wife, Tracy, used to say, leave this guy alone at meetings. Uh, he, he's out of his baseball uniform. You know, he, he's not this guy, uh, anymore. In your book, you say, you say your uniform is merely a facade for greatness, shielding the brokenness that ached within me. And how did that change? And how did you, when did you first realize that, Daryl? Well, it, it took a while to realize that, Bill, because I, so many of us live for, you know, the things that we accomplish in the uniform and, and, and the title of being a baseball player, football player, basketball player, whatever it may be, uh, you're in the movies or whatever it may be, you know, we'd be idolized for that. And, you know, the, the real person is probably deep down inside broken and hurting and, and wounded uh, from life and got scars and issues. And how do you get well from that? You know, because after the uniform is all – you know, she was like, you need to take the uniform off. You're no longer that player, that mm-hmm. person that everybody uh, look at you to be. And you need to find out who you are and, and let God, you know, develop you in the man that he wants you to be. And, man, had it not been for my lovely wife, you know, I, I would be sitting here today. I wouldn't be the minister, the evangelist like I am today. You know, God called me on an assignment like I get to go preach like Billy Graham did. I, Billy Graham is one of my favorite, you know, ministers of the gospel because of, you know, his of what he did to win souls and you know here it is i once i took the uniform off i become this whole different person and you know i don't want people to think i'm sitting here bill and they saying that i'm better than anybody else i just made a commitment you know i made a different commitment in my life that you know i was going to no longer be daryl strawberry the baseball player but i was going to be the man that god wanted me to be to help so many other people and you know i i, I have a joy of waking up and, and just helping people. I mean, it's just such a great joy because so many people help me. And I've always believed, Bill, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And I believe a lot don't, a lot of us don't go back and give enough, uh, enough to others who are suffering and have trouble and have issues because we think we live behind community gates and we have it all together. We drive fancy cars and, you know, we don't have any problems, no bills and stuff like that. But and let me tell you, celebrities have more problems than you can ever imagine. They're just hidden because they live behind the community gates. Right. Yeah, I'm sure of that, Daryl. Now, there's another moment in the book where you talk about hitting your home run in Game 7 of the series, and you said that you you really didn't even enjoy that. What, what did you learn from that experience, Daryl? Well, I, I think I learned the fact that, you know, it was it, it was a big game, and we came back 
and, and that was happy for us, and, and we, we won, you know. And I just think of all the frustration, you know, of going through a season and what it's like and, and being in that place in the playoffs and everything. And you're just kind of mentally, emotionally drained, you know, when the end is over. And, and you sometimes you don't really have that full joy after. You have a joy with the guys you with, but after you go home, you don't really have that joy because there it is, the emptiness still set on. It's, it's sitting on the inside. There's an empty void on the inside that we try to fill it with so many things, you know, like money, success, uh, uh, popularity, drugs, women, old cars, you know, homes, whatever it is. And it's still there no matter how you look at it at the end of the day if your title of who you are is completely wrong. And I think my title of who I was back then was completely wrong, you know, of, of who I was as a baseball player and not as a man today. I mean, I see life from a different perspective today because, you know, I get to do some really incredible things and, you know, I get to meet some incredible people and I get to meet people who are, are, are looking to have a transformation like myself and others. And how did you want to know how did you get there? And you're able to share that with them and, sh- and tell them that, you know, it's free. It's about, you know, being persistent, you know, for God and surrendering yourself to him and you get to get to a better place and an understanding of life. Right. Now, your problems have been well chronicled, Daryl. We know that uh, the the drugs, the the prison. Uh, what was the turning point in your life? When what happened that said to you, "I got to turn this around"? Well, I think the turning point in my life was uh, my wife Tracy. Uh, mm-hmm. First, it was my mother praying for me, and I was living a heathen life, you know, with the lifestyle, the drugs, the women, and, and all that stuff. And, and I had to come to a place and ask God to forgive me and repent. And then it was my wife, Tracy, coming into my life that God would use her to uh, restore me, uh, rescue me, redeem me, and restore me to wholeness and lead me back to my rightful place. And uh, she was she was a big part of who I am today. Uh, I, I sit here today because uh, of her loving me when I couldn't love myself and when everybody else had given up. She was, she was the one that never gave up on me while everybody else was saying he's done. And he'll be dead. But they were right. They didn't realize they were prophesizing over my life. The old me baseball player, Daryl Strawberry, he's completely dead. He doesn't even exist anymore. And then I became this new man because I've had this transformation and I've been able to, you know, really elevate myself to a whole different place and think different and act different and, and be different. And really at the end of the day, that's, that's what we really all want at the end of the day is to be different. You know, I, like I said before, I looked at Gary Carter and I looked at Mookie Wilson. I looked at their life and their life was different. They were great baseball players, but they were different. They had a different perspective about life, you know, and I think that's what I, I have today that I didn't have when I was a baseball player. And I'm grateful for my wife, Tracy, because she gave me, that opportunity to to be who I was at the time, broken, but also find a different perspective about life and live a different way. And she was there with me throughout the whole process. When everybody else had, else had given up on me, everybody else threw me away and said nothing to me, she was the only one there, and I'm grateful for that. So are we, Daryl. <laughs> Turn your season around. Uh, the book by Daryl Strawberry comes out on January 12th, folks. When you think about baseball, Darrell, when you do think about the game, you hit many home runs. Which ones come to mind? And look back and you say, man, that was a great moment. <laughs> I, I would have to say, you know, the, the ball hit off the clock, I think, in 85 against Kim Daly. You know, we won that ball game one nothing. I think Darley was pitching a great game. And we didn't go on to win that series against the Cardinals, but that was, that was the beginning of who we were becoming because we lost in 84. And then I would say the ball hit off of Nolan Ryan in the 
playoffs and the ball hit off the nepper in the playoffs. I think, uh, I think those, uh, I think those are really big home runs that turned the corner for us in that series. And those are, I always remember. I think, uh, I think that's, those are, when I look, I hit a three run homer and then I hit a solo run homer. And that home run off Nolan, Nolan was throwing the gym that day. If yeah. I don't hit that home run, we don't win that ball game. Houston go on and beat us and win that series and it's over. And so I, I, I think about those moments. Those are great moments that I will always remember and I would always cherish. Pretty good one off Nolan Ryan, Daryl. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, your best teammate, who was the guy that was there for you all the time? Well, I, I would have to say Carter was probably the, the best teammate. I just I was young, and, and I just didn't understand uh, who he was and didn't really understand how great he was and the great man that he was and how he lived his life. And, I mean, he didn't shove it down anyone's throat. And, you know, a lot of guys, you know, said a lot of things about him because he liked to smile and he was happy and he, you know, every time he saw the camera, he smiled. You know what? But Gary Carter was free. We realized that after him passing away, everybody realized what a good man. You know, you could see the sobbing from all the players and thinking, what a good man that lived his life clean. And, and, and I think that he, I think he had the greatest impact on my life today. I think that's the reason why I'm so different today because, because of Carter, you know, because Carter told me one day you're going to live a different life and you're going to live it with faith. And I just couldn't understand him at the time. But he was right, you know, and he says, I just see it in you. He goes, you're a good person, regardless of what you're going through. He used to tell me that all the time. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He said, God's going to use your goodness, and he's going to use it for his glory one day. And he was right. And so I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for a teammate that was like that, that didn't look at me and was envy of me and jealous. He wasn't envy. He didn't jealous me. You know, he he didn't have jealousy over him about me because of my talent or anything. I think he had the same thing with so many players disliking him because of who he was and the star he became. So I'm grateful for I'm really, truly grateful for that friendship. That friendship was great to me. Great answer, Daryl. Finally, I want to ask you, what do you think of the new ownership under Steve Cohen, and uh, what do you think's ahead for, for the New York Mets? Well, hopefully greatness is ahead for them. They fans deserve it. Mets fans have suffered for so long. Oh, man. Uh, you know, with the organization and over the years and stuff like that with the, uh, with the ownership, you know, saying we're going to do better and we really, really don't do better. You know, you get, you know, you bring teams, you know, that's been mediocre that doesn't really have the drive every year. I think new ownership is looking to have a drive every year to build a team that has the drive every year, like the early 80 match. You know, you can say what you want about them. But I tell you what, the fans came out to the ballpark to see us play because they knew we had to drive to win. And I think that's what the new ownership wants back. He want he want to have some kind of swag about himself where, you know, when players come into Shea Stadium like for us, but it's city field for them. But when players came into Shea Stadium, they they knew they'd be lucky to win one game in a, a three-game set, four-game set. They'd be happy to get out with one game. So that's the way you want people to feel when they come into your home ballpark. You'd be lucky to get out of here with a win. And I think uh, that's what the new ownership is looking to have his team, build teams like that, that have that, you know, character about themselves and personality and swag at the same time. As you say, Daryl, we deserve it, man. That, that, that's for sure. Well, Daryl Strawberry, it's been a real pleasure Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend some of it with us up here in New York. Again, folks, the book is titled Turn Your Season Around, How God Transformed Your Life. That's coming out on January 12th. Check Amazon. Check Barnes & Noble. You could pick it up on the 12th. Daryl, thanks once again. All right, Bill. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. All the best to you guys in New York. Stay well. Daryl Strawberry, All ladies right. and gentlemen. Well... 
up next on Sports Talk New York, we'll get a house call from the doctor. Julius Irving visits. Stay tuned, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Country Foot Care, official podiatrists of the New York Lizards, have been delivering state-of-the-art foot care with good old-fashioned caring to Long Island residents for over 30 years. Specialists in sports medicine and foot injuries, Country Foot Care can be reached at 516-741-FEET or online at countryfootcare.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit Gustbuster.com and get your Gustbuster today. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Gotta let the music play out. (laughs) All right, we're back with Sports Talk New York on GBB here in beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island. This, of course, the debut of our new format here, new logo, new site, new presence on social media. Same technical problems, right, Brian? <laughs> no. We wish everyone Happy New Year out there, and we're going to keep the sports memories rolling along here. Our next guest, he's really regarded as one of the greatest and most influential basketball players of all time. He helped legitimize the American Basketball Association, and he was the best-known player in that league when it merged with the NBA back in 75, 76 He was an NBA champion in 1983, a two-time ABA champion with the Nets. He's been an MVP in both leagues, a member of the NBA's All-Time 50, that great book that came out a couple of years ago, if you guys picked that up. And he was elected, of course, to the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame up in Springfield, Mass., in 1983. It's an honor and a pleasure for me to welcome to the show tonight Julius Irving, Julius, good evening. Good evening. How are you? Oh, it's great to have you with us, sir. It's a real pleasure. Thanks. Great to be on. Uh, great to be on with you. Great to be uh, connected back to, you know, where I was born and raised, uh, Long Island. A couple of miles up the block. Yeah, that's for sure, Doctor. That's for sure. Now, tell us a little bit about your your uh, childhood. Who were your favorite teams and players when you when you were on the playgrounds up in Roosevelt? Well, uh, you know, I think I, I used to only see basketball on TV, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> until I was about, uh, 13, maybe 14. And, uh, 
then our, our coach at the uh, Salvation Army used to find a way to get us into uh, get us into Madison Square Garden. Uh, that was always a treat, and you know the garden was known for double headers uh, then. So I, I'd see uh, the Knicks, the Celtics, uh, Philadelphia 76ers, and uh, by the Baltimore Bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the teams we would see mostly, and uh, I always loved, always loved, uh, you know, watching the game on uh, TV. We come on once a week, right. so you know, Elgin Elgin Baylor became uh, my favorite player. He was the, he was a guy whose style, uh, you know, he he played the uh, he played the forward position it was just called a forward position and mm-hmm. and uh he would score a rebound he'd, he'd run the fast break and you know he just had uh such good movements and body control that i was just fascinated with with seeing that and wanted to be that type player great choice that's a great choice for sure now i met you dr j back in the early 70s at I don't know if you remember, Gus Alfieri's All-American Basketball Camp out at St. Anthony's in Smithtown. You remember those days? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, the, yeah. There were you were there, Hubie Brown, Roly Massimino, uh, Coach Carnesecca, John Roach, and, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a kid from, from UMass, uh, one of your boys from UMass was there by the name of Richie Patino. Well, we used to call him Richie back then. He didn't beca- become Rick till he got to the pros, but he was one of the coaches back then. Yeah, yeah. You you have just named the usual suspect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, now we of course we enjoyed listening to. So if, Go ahead, Doc. Yeah, if you- Throw Rock, Lockery, Kevin Lockery, and Rod Thorne into that group. Yeah, yeah. Then you really have the usual suspects. I mean, you know, uh, you know, and, and just in having uh, personal friendships uh, with those guys over the years, it meant so much. Uh, I learned so much from so many of them, and and we we learned so much about each other because we go out and compete on the golf course down at Pinehurst, uh, mm-hmm. North Carolina, hosted by Dean Smith. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, when you throw those names out, man, it's very, very meaningful. Yeah. And, you know, Rick Pitino. And that, that camp, uh, for one thing, uh, the Shamrock basketball camp, it was, it was, it was a real treat. You know, he'd always have guest pros come in. Right. Uh, well, he had, uh, Wayne Embry, uh, come there. It was probably the first, first time I met him and Johnny Green, uh, you know, who lived on Long Island, who actually lived in Roosevelt. I used to walk past his house on my way to high school. Now, that was a great time for high school hoops on the island, Doc. I don't know if you remember, there were uh, guys in Babylon, North Babylon. You had Jeff Rulin out in Sachem, uh, the Vickers mm-hmm. boys in Babylon. Uh, just a great yeah. time for hoops on Long Island. Yeah, you had a guy named Bobby Vacca. Yeah. You remember him? He uh-huh. was, I think he might have been the leading scorer on the, on the, on the, uh, island in, in Suffolk. And, uh, uh, Al Williams over in Hempstead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Vogley from Sawanica, who, uh, who went to UMass with me. And, uh, for us, we, uh, we were actually on a, uh, Zoom call with 
a lot of our teammates from the seventies, Al Skinner. Al Skinner. You know, yeah. who who went uh to Malvern and uh was also a UMass grad and also played with me with the Nets as well as the uh seventy sixers. Now you elevated the dunk doc into really it was pure artistry on the court. Um the evolution of the dunk from the early the early days to your time. How did you take it to that level? Well, I think uh, for me, I, I mean, I went in Hempstead. I went to Prospect Elementary School, and that was a K through eight school. And they and they always had these uh, these two baskets that were back to back, and one was at eight feet, and the other one was at nine feet. <laughs> so, yeah. so. Uh, so when I we would have a recess, you know, we'd get, either get a chance to play basketball or we, we'd go out there and play football and, and uh, you know, we'd just do recreation in the, in the, in the schoolyard in the back. And uh, I found it uh, very, very interesting and uh, to, to play on that eight-foot basket, you know, <laughs> yeah. when I was like, like K through four or five. And uh, since I had a big hand, you know, we would play uh, horse or we would play uh, uh, pig, you know, so you kind of eliminate the, the next guy. Right. And, you know, I had a big hand, and I could hold the ball with one hand. And we didn't always play with a basketball. Sometimes it was just, you know, it was just a, a soccer ball or it was uh, just a dodgeball or something. So, you know, everybody was. Everybody was able to grip it and rip it. And the basketball thing, I was just one of maybe two players, you know, who could hold it and do things in the air with basketball. And I really started on an eight-foot basket. And then, you know, it was a real big crowd day when I got to do it on a nine-foot basket. And then ultimately on a ten-foot basket, you know, when I was probably like 13 years old. Wow. Um, so, so a lot of the development of my game just came by it evolving, you know, from coming up, you know, on on a playground with uh, with lower rims, and then finally getting to the big rim, and then eventually getting to the to the big time. Uh, and it's so funny that you would say that because while I was in college, you know, that's when they took the dunk out of the game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of my weapons. And then they took it out of the game. So I had a lot of uh, pent-up anger once it, <laughs> you know, once I got to the pros because, uh, you know, my my two years of varsity ball in college, I couldn't dunk them all. Oh, yeah, that, that was terrible. You know, I remember that. Now, you, you signed a contract briefly with the Atlanta Hawks, Doc, and you had the chance to play with Pistol Pete. Now, I know you mm-hmm. and he had some, some matchups there. Uh, in practice or on the side, tell us a little bit about your time with Pistol Pete Maravich. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, Pistol uh, uh, Pete was Pete was great. Uh, you know, he was a gym rat, yeah. and uh, he 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 had the whole package. I mean, he could he could shoot the ball from distance. You know, there wasn't a three point shot around when, when he was when he was playing, and still averaged over forty points a game. <laughs> yeah. in college and and uh you know it probably would have been 50 if that three point shot had, had been out there and plus his dad was coaching and uh he uh and he was he was a great athlete you know he was 
thin and wiry, and he was tall. I mean, you know, six five, six six. Uh, and so, you know, we when we went when we went to camp with the uh, with the Hawks, uh, we hit it off right away. And you know, we played a lot of one on one basketball. And there's a there's a tape out there uh, somewhere where he and I are in the in the uh, the Superdome. Mm-hmm. With uh, Dick Cavett, okay, and it was for the Dick Cavett show, and it was, you know, it was the first time when uh, Philadelphia played uh, New Orleans. You know, they played played the uh, New Orleans Jazz at that time, and Pistol was their main guy, and, and I was George McGinnis, and I were, you know, the main guys uh, from from Philly, and we we did a show in the in the stadium, no fans. And it was just, uh, you know, done at half court. And it was Dick Cavett, me, and Pistol Pete Maravich. And it was uh, actually a very special uh, testimonial to basketball because, uh, you know, we both loved the game so much. And uh, and Cavett was, was a student of the game. I'm going to have to check YouTube for that. I know I've seen the uh, tapes of... Pistol Pete and uh, the Iceman uh, playing one-on-one, but we'll have to check that for you and Pistol Pete Maravich. Now, on the Nets, okay. let's talk about the Nets, Doc. Uh, those, okay. those Those early days up the block here at the Nassau Coliseum, uh, we all loved the ABA as kids. We loved the run-and-gun style. We loved the red, white, and blue ball, the three-point mm-hmm. shots, and, uh, of course, mm-hmm. there was the Floridian ball girls that weren't bad either. But <laughs> we had uh, Mr. K, Billy Paltz, Brian Taylor, Super J, uh, and coached by Lockery. What a ball club, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and uh, Billy Schaefer on their team, John Williamson. Right. Uh, Al Skinner, Mike Gale. Uh, 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 Rich Jones, uh, Tim Bassett, uh, Kim Hughes, Jimbo, Jim Akins. Eventually, you know, this is over the three years. Just a whole assortment of teammates. Brian Taylor, the BT Express. Yeah. Uh, can't, can't forget him. From Princeton. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Kevin and Rod, um, uh, Believe me, that was probably my most enjoyable time uh, in pro basketball. Uh, you know, in the in the winter, I played for the Nets, and in the summer, you know, I played for uh, the West Siders in the Rucker League, mm-hmm. and a lot of my teammates would play with me. You know, uh, uh, Georgie Buns and and Billy Pauls, Ali Taylor, and uh, a lot of guys from from the ABA as well as the NBA. You know, played that. That game uh, in Rucker Park, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you know, the uh, so, but the Nets, and just in terms of our start and, and our beginning, you know, it was a controversial uh, trade that got me to the Nets from the Virginia Squires. You know, I had I had that experience with Maravich in Atlanta and mm-hmm. I signed a contract with Atlanta. I was really trying to go to Atlanta and, uh, and ended up, uh, back in Virginia for a second year. And then, you know, the deal with the Nets, uh, brought me back home, uh, to Long Island and brought me back to New York. And, you know, that, that part of, uh, my, my life and my time, 
uh, was, you know, was very special, uh, you know, became a, uh, a, a basketball uh, champion, became an MVP, became a husband, became a father. <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. it, was uh, it was like lightning in the bottle <laughs> for all of those things to, to happen there between, uh, you know, 1974 and 1976. Right. Uh, years to remember. We are speaking with the great Dr. J. Julius Serving tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now the merger comes along, Doc. The Nets are poised to play in the NBA, but then people may not know the Knicks slapped them with a fee to play in the NBA. Hey, you're infringing on our territory. You have to pay us. I think it was 4.8 mil or something like that. Mm-hmm. Roy Bow can't pay it. So the Nets offer you to the Knicks, and they turn it down. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that was uh that was like total total BS, you know, yeah. the uh rights uh issue because you know, I mean they have like four teams in California, three teams in Texas and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So I mean there's states that had multiple teams and uh and you know, even now, I mean Knicks in Brooklyn. I mean Brooklyn I'm sure doesn't pay any territorial rights. No, right money to the uh to the to the Knicks and vice versa. So I think what happened uh, was with that deal uh which was brokered by my agent uh Erwin Weiner uh during that time. Uh it was the uh it was the Nets who uh felt as though it would be very detrimental to the Nets franchise to make the deal with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, the discussion was, uh, you can go anywhere else except to the Knicks. <laughs> yeah. So, so just geographically, uh, you know, I had established uh, my family in Long Island. And, you know, I, I just kind of looked for the closest place. Uh, and Philly became the closest place just by default. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was either south of Philly or go uh, north to Boston. And, uh, and Philly was commutable, you know, from Long Island. It's, you know, it's only, well, from Manhattan, it's an hour, 15 minute train ride. And from Long Island, it's a couple hours. Right. By car or whatever. So I was, you know, without even knowing the franchise and, you know, doing so much of the homework that gets done uh, these days, uh, I ended up basically going to Philadelphia for geographical reasons. Now, when you went to Philly, Doc, you became really a more team-oriented player uh, than you were in in New York. You had George McGinnis. Uh, Lloyd Free, Doug Collins, but you became more of a team ball player down with the Sixers. Well, I, I, I felt as though my Squires years in Virginia and my Nets years, uh, we did play team basketball. And uh, in Philly, uh, with Gene Shue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we tried to play this balance style of basketball, but there was a lot of individuality uh, in, in Philadelphia that it took a couple of years to 
to uh, to get rid of. And even though in that first year, you know, we played for the NBA championship in uh, the 76-77 season, uh, lost to Portland. Uh, you know, it took several years and, and some coaching changes in order to really find the team that, you know, we had in 80, 80 to 83. Uh, in which we competed for the, for the championship, uh, uh, two times. Um, mm-hmm. well, actually 80, 82 and 83. So three times, uh, winning, winning in 83, as you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when you say the, the, the team game, you know, probably by, you know, you start looking at maybe my individual stats and, you know, they were so much, uh, higher in the ABA and so much higher in, in the, with the Nets. Uh, but they were actually the highest with the Squires in those first couple of years with Charlie Scott on the team and, uh, Ray Scott, mm-hmm. uh, Batty Taylor and Bernie Williams and, uh, Jumbo Jim Akins, George Irvin and, you know, the, the, uh, Neil Johnson was on that team. And we had Al Bianchi as a coach. And, oh, yeah. And Al Bianchi, uh, was really, uh, a great coach. And, uh, and a Hall of Famer as Kyle Kevin Lockery and, 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 uh, Billy Cunningham. So, so I, I was, you know, able to be influenced, uh, by some, uh, uh, great, uh, coaches who were former players and, uh, and each had their own style. But, uh, the fun time, the fun time for me was, you know, the Virginia years with the Squires and the, uh, and the and the Nets years in, in Long Island, so mm-hmm. you know that that that's always going to be you know home for me and home cooking, right? And uh, we're glad to hear that, Doc. That's for sure. Now, I want to talk to you about one of your signature moves, the baseline move. Now, the, one of the uh, most memorable plays I remember it was uh, during the eighty NBA Finals. Uh, it was impossible finger roll behind the backboard. You drove past, uh, I think it was Mark Landsberger on the right baseline, and then Kareem yeah. Kareem comes into the picture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that uh, that, that we we just kind of call it the layup. <laughs> yeah, up and under, up and under, and uh, probably uh, the 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 memorable thing about it was the hang time you know <laughs> that i was able to uh to to take off you know on the right side of the basket and shoot the ball on the left side of the basket and i actually took off from outside of the the free throw lane and you know their lines going down up and down from the free throw line and uh just kind of uh you know saw it in the air for a while had the ball in one hand hanging out away from uh with the defenses and then when I got to the other side of the basket there was an opening to to bring it up and under and you know spin it spin it in off the glass with Kareem uh Abdul Jabbar you know standing there with his his arms hoisted yeah and you know he never jumped and I just remember distinguishedly uh falling to the ground and you know, because I had just exhausted my uh, my jump, and you know, I could, for whatever reason, I couldn't land on my feet. I mean, I just hit 
you know, hit sideways and fell on the ground and got up and ran down the court. And then suddenly, you know, in the New York Times the next day, there's this like this series of photos depicting that move in that game. And it's something that, you know, has lived on all of these years. Uh, fortunately, it was in color, not in black and white, since it was such an old photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. And yeah, there's, there's a, and I, I, I see it, I see, uh, uh, facsimiles of it being done, but, uh, never exactly the same way. No. Never exactly the same way. And, uh, and I think you sometimes, you know, it's, it's great to be credited with, uh, doing something that nobody else does. That, and, uh, I, I remember, probably, I remember the, yeah. do, the dunk over Walton. In uh, I think it was '77, <laughs> right? Big Bill standing yeah. there, and you, you, oh, it was vicious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got we got to go easy on Bill. You know, we did a, <laughs> we did a podcast a couple of months ago. So, yeah, so so we have a truce. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> we'll take it easy on on Bill. We have, we have a truce in place. <laughs> now, Doc, I I always tell kids, younger younger people. Uh, and you can tell me that I'm wrong if, if you want, but I always say the doctor was operating way before Jordan got here. And <laughs> what do you think of that? Well, you're, you're right. You're right. I, I think, uh, you know, Michael will admit that I probably was an inspiration, uh, to him. Yeah. And that yeah. he was able to, by the bar being so high, you know, be driven to, to go above the bar. And what he was able to accomplish in the era in which he did it, uh, you know, just made him a universal. I mean, I was probably, uh, national and international, but, you know, Michael, Michael made it universal in terms of that style of play, you know, which, uh, uh only a handful of guys are gifted with the ability to have. You know, you look at the Kobe Bryants and you look at, um, Vince Carter and Dominique Wilkins and Clyde Drexler and, you know, there's there's that similarity in the styles, you know, that that uh, that we all have that Elgin Baylor had, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm sure Elgin and Connie Hawkins were probably the first two that I noticed, you know, just having uh, that style where when fans are watching, you know, you can't help but keep an eye on that player and. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to blink because you might miss something that you never see again. That's right. And the doctor uh, was the first one on the scene doing that, folks. Well, Julia Serving, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you with us tonight. Hey. I thank you thank for you taking much. time out of your Sunday night to spend some of it with us uh, back here in Long Island. Oh, absolutely. That's always going to be home uh, for me. And uh, I, I live in Atlanta, Georgia now. But uh, the, 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 those years and, and those days are etched in my mind forever, and I'm so happy to share it with you and with your audience. Well, we were overjoyed to have you and with us, Doc. I'll, I'll see you at the basketball camp. Will do. Yeah, I'll be out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dr. J, Julia Serving, folks. Well, that'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York, uh, our debut show. I would like to thank my guests once again, the great Daryl Strawberry and the immortal Hall of Famer, Dr. J. Julia Serving. 
my engineer, Brian Graves, for working through uh, some problems that we had. And, of course, you guys for taking part, for joining me. Rob Kramer, he's coming up next. Please stay put. He has got Mark Bavaro, New York Giant World Champion tight end and Ranger. Dave Maloney on the docket. I'll see you next on January 17th of this 2021 new year. And I hope to have uh, the great Curtis Martin with me that night. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue, wishing you a good evening, folks. expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.